Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your Friday episode of Private Parts. Today, we have a very intimate, I suppose, and special episode. Now, for a long time on Private Parts, I have spoken about the importance of talking about mental health, anxiety, depression, whatever it is. And I personally have spoken about a lot of different things on this podcast. So I thought today what I would do is I would bring on my therapist, my therapist who I've seen every single week for the past four, five years. I've been incredibly fortunate to do that. Her name is Mal. She was slightly nervous to come on because she didn't know what to expect. It's not her real space. Um, So I managed to persuade her that it would be a good idea. And hopefully you will enjoy it. Now, I thought it would be interesting to do that because I think it would be a great way to sort of understand perhaps a little bit of what I've been through but also understand tools and techniques to help you if you feel anxious or upset or you're in not a great spot at the moment because I think she's incredibly wise about helping people through these places. She's amazing at CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. She is amazing at sort of understanding and sort of wading through your thoughts to making you realize what you're actually trying to say. I really enjoyed today's episode. It was amazing. Please go and check out our socials at private podcast, Instagram, TikTok, on YouTube at Private Parts. And if you haven't subscribed, please do because it makes a huge help. Loads of you have already, but please, a little bit more would be amazing. Okay, we're going to get right into it. Here we go. Please enjoy the episode of Private Parts with my therapist, Mal. Mal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Whenever we have therapy sessions... Normally, I walk in and you'll say to me, how are you feeling today? And I'll say, well, I'm anxious, I'm this, I'm that. But actually, because it's kind of reversed today in a weird kind of way. So, and you sent me a message saying you were a bit apprehensive to do this. Are you feeling anxious? Extremely anxious. (laughs) I'm very open about it. (laughs) Why are you so worried about it? Because it's unfamiliar. Yeah. I'm very open. I'm very easy if I'm feeling anxious. The fact that I can say why I'm feeling anxious, and we can talk about that later, but that helps me. I'm anxious because I'm doing something new. You are anxious. But that's a good thing. That's all right. Yeah, but it'd be odd if I wasn't anxious. But wouldn't you be excited about doing this? Because you know me so well. That's you know going a bit far, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I like you, but I'm not sure I want to be made to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I'll get, it'll get better as I go along. 
The anxiety will go. We should probably start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I wanted to do this episode is few reasons. Firstly, because on this podcast, for the past six, seven years, I have spoken about my feelings. I have spoken about mental health. We've had people on speak about mental health. And I feel like we live in this world now where, thankfully, a lot of people can talk about their feelings and they don't feel scared or alienated, all these different things. But also, I think a lot of the time I come on and I sort of slightly go in depth about how I feel or what I've been through. But I probably don't go into real depth because I'm nervous or anxious Mm. about doing that. And I think it's important because we spoke about this this morning. We had a therapy session this morning. And I said a lot of the time people say we've got to get over the stigma of mental health. We've got to talk about mental health. But actually to turn on yourself and say I've had anxiety, I've had depression, I have OCD, I have these things. It's much more powerful. And so you as my therapist... I thought we would have a conversation today about all of that. Yeah. How does that make you feel? That makes you feel calmer because that's your space. Yes, and because we talk about you. <laughs> so it's not put on you. <laughs> yes, and I know you. <laughs> you know me very well. I know your brain. So can we ask then who you are? I know you as Mal. Yeah. But who are you to everybody else? I'm Mal to everybody else, so my full name, but everybody calls me Mal, it's Maliha. Yeah. I'm from Pakistan. I was born in Pakistan. I came here when I was about seven. Mm-hmm. I studied social psychology, then I went on to do clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. And once you've trained, you can do lots of things. So I just went into doing, working, you know, as a therapist. Mm-hmm. And I trained a long time ago. <laughs> I finished training in 93. I was uh, five. Yes, don't say that. That's just, uh, that's just. I was five. Yeah, all right, all right. (laughs) That's why I parent you a lot of the time. That is very true. That is very true. Uh, So I've been doing this for a long time, worked in the NHS. And when I had my own children, Noah and Hussein, Mm -hmm. you know a lot about the kids. Mm -hmm. Then I went into the independent sector. What is the fascination with psychology? What is the fascination with people? Because I always think whenever you go into this area, it is about other people. Yes. And um, I have five sisters. Yeah. No brothers. Mm-hmm. I'm number four. And there was all, I, was, I always had that role of being the mediator. Uh, I've always been interested in people's stories. Mm. aka nosy right mm. I can talk to people at bus stops my son will be shouting like mommy you can't talk to that person and I think I get that from my father my father was always interested in people always really? everything even when he was at the passport sort of like you know control he would talk to the lady behind the desk like all of that so I think I get it from him but I'm interested in people, um, not necessarily how they work or what's wrong with them, but just their stories. I love that. The thing which, and we're going to get into me very soon, but the thing I always find um, maybe difficult about therapy, I think I find lots of things amazing about therapy, but I think as a therapist, it might be difficult. You sit there and you listen to a lot of my feelings and a lot of other people's thoughts and feelings throughout every single day. Some happy, some very sad. Yep. Some very scary, I imagine. Yeah. Yep. And then how do you shut the door at the end of the day and go home to your family and just go, okay, fine, that's work and that's that. 
I think uh, only after many, many years. I think when you first train, you always have a, a lot of supervision. Mm. I have peer supervision now. And I think you do learn to compartmentalize things. But there are obviously things that some of the things I've heard are so awful. I mean, you're a joy to see, but some of the things are, that I've heard are so awful that you can never forget. There are some clients that I've seen in my life that I will never forget their stories because they are so, so traumatic. But they're real survivors. Me knowing you for the last five years, I, I always call you, I call you a witch <laughs> in a good way, not the bad kind of witch. <laughs> Because what you do in an amazing way is I will try and explain the way that I'm feeling to you or what I've been through. And, and I'm sort of muddling it in my own head. And you will say, well, you feel it because of this. And you'll straighten it out for me. So, so you must have that real empathetic heart to be able to do that because you can feel and sense and understand what people are going through. So I just, I'm always curious because when you deal with patients or clients or individuals who are really suffering, I just would find that hard to just park it almost. Like I said, some are easier to park than others. Mm. But I think when I listen to people, I listen slightly differently because I want to make sense of what they're saying. Because the way I was trained, it is often like, you know, what's, you know, what was the trigger? What was this? I want to make sense. If I can make sense of it, mm. then I can help them make sense of it. So you separate the emotional connection almost. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. If I sat there and said, yeah, every session you came in, I said, oh, Jamie, that's really awful. That's mm. really tough. You'll feel good for about 10 minutes. Said, Thank you very much. See you next week. <laughs> but that's not really that helpful. <laughs> it's not helpful at no. all. No. You can say that to yourself or your friend can say it or your mum can say it. I want you to understand why did I feel like that? Why did I respond like that? Because why? Because then that helps heal what's happened or helps you process it? Helps you process it and also helps you learn that if it happens again, then that's what's going on. There are lots of different techniques, lots of different ways people do therapy. Yeah. And I think maybe I'm wrong here, but from my knowledge, the one that I've particularly done with you is a lot of CBT. Yeah. Cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy. Yeah. Um, which is, how would you describe that to someone who doesn't know that? Um, so CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is essentially the way you think affects how you feel and how you behave. Okay, explain that simpler to me. So the example that we always use would be like, there's a trigger, you're sleeping and you hear a very loud noise outside. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a trigger. So if you think, so you've got the thinking part, you've got the feelings part, you've got the behavior part. If you suddenly think, oh my God, there's somebody trying to break in, how will you feel? Anxious. Mm -hmm. How will you behave? Switch the light on, get up, do something. Mm -hmm. If, however, same trigger, you think, oh my God, those, uh, the foxes are out there again, how will you feel? Not worried. Not, not worried. How will you behave? Turn over, go to sleep. Correct. Okay? Same trigger, different response. Oh. Right. And and I always say, and I know, you know, I've done been I've done been doing CBT for a long time, but for CBT therapists, I'm not really interested in your emotion part. Like, okay, yellow, yellow, quick Tell move me on. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more interested what did you think when you heard that noise? Because thinking is more amenable to change. Feeling I can say, Well, Jamie, you shouldn't have felt like that. Why did you think that? 
So CBT is all about learning how our thinking has a lot of errors. Like we always catastrophize. You and I use that word a lot in the session. We mm-hmm. catastrophize, we personalize, we um, do a lot of fortune telling. Mm-hmm. So once, you, and for me, the whole thing is if you can identify the what the thinking error is, like, oh, I'm catastrophizing again. I always think there's somebody breaking in. What's a different way to think about it? That makes total sense to me. So just so I can get this straight, just for people, because some people were listening right now. I know you've worked in the NHS. And I heard this awful stat the other day where someone's brother was on the cognitive behavioral therapy list for a year before he was seen. Yeah. Because it's just so overcrowded with patients and not enough staff. So it's really, so, so maybe someone listening now will get some real help from it. So... If if I hear if I hear a noise outside, if my if I become scared, yeah, I go, oh, that makes me scared. Yeah, you're more almost interested more in the thinking part of it. Yeah, because you can change the thinking process. Because I think, well, there's someone outside, but actually, if I just go, well, that's just the foxes. It changes the whole everything. And when people are anxious, they're much more likely to think that there's a fox, there's a somebody trying to break in. Because of you're always alert. You're always alert. And you, mister, have been <laughs> your hypervigilance. I've said this to you before. If there's a very loud noise, you would jump a lot quicker than I would. 100%. Yeah, because you are sort of anxious little person. And I really want you to be as honest. I give you free roam to be as honest as you can about me. As honest as you want. Yeah. And so just so whatever you say, you don't have to worry. I heard this other day, giving the truth is so important now in this world full of filters and lies and dishonesty. So I think it's a really good thing to do. Just one more thing on um, different techniques, psychotherapy. Yeah. What is psychotherapy? Psychotherapy. So I'm not a psychotherapist. Okay. Psychotherapy is much more, uh, it'd be, (laughs) psychotherapy would probably kill me, but it's much more analysis. Yeah. Freudian, Jungian. Yeah. I respect psychotherapists because their training is very different to my type of training. Yeah. But that is much more intense. It is not uncommon for people to go in five times a week. Really? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you came to me five times, I'd love you dearly, but I would be like... I think you would honestly <laughs> like Mr. Lang. I think I've tried that. I, I remember when we first started having sessions. Now, I said, "I think I need to see you twice no, a week." So and you were like, "No, I think you're okay. I think you're all right once a week." <laughs> uh, so that's, that's much. Uh, it suits my personality. CBT suits me but, because I'm very practical. And uh, but when a client comes in, when you have a patient, sorry, come in. And this is where I want to get into me. When you, you have someone come in and they sit in front of you and they've been referred to you or you've been asked to see them or whatever it is, yeah. you have to assess them pretty quickly. Yep. And you don't know the whole full story of what's going on and maybe they're just a, going through a tricky time, maybe a divorce, maybe financial problems, eating disorders, traumas, whatever it is. Yeah. How do you then label, go, okay, well, we're going to have to work CBT with this person? Or do you then... Do you have a tendency where you could switch it and go, well, maybe this isn't, maybe this is just where I have to talk about an eating disorder with them and work through that. Are there, do you know where I'm heading with this? Are there different ways to assess individuals? The way I work, I will, whatever you come with, I will work with that. I might think, you know what, he's talking about anxiety, but really it's not about anxiety. <laughs> it's about something else. But I will work with you at the beginning, but I will nudge you slightly <laughs> towards something else. 
Can you tell when someone comes in that it's something deeper? Of than, course. I've been can, doing this for a long time. So you can see it straight away? Yeah. Like, really? you want to leave your wife. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see that straight away? Yes. Wow. I can see that straight away. I think so. Okay. Me. Yes. I came to you five years ago. Four yep. or five years 2019. ago. 2019. 2019. And I was doing Made in Chelsea. Um, I you had, were a wreck of a man. Yeah, I think I was. You were. I? I, and I want to find out all about what you perceived me as at that time. And I remember I had done a lot of therapy. Or I, I hadn't done that. I'd done therapy sporadically. I had had a panic attack in my early 20s. I had drunk far too much. I had been out way too many times. I had uh, had breakups, makeups, fights, all these different things. And I just didn't understand my emotions. And I'd also been through depersonalization. Yeah. Which, <clears throat> when I told you about that at the very beginning, you said that's pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know what depersonalization is, how would you describe depersonalization, Mel? It's what we would consider is, is like a disassociative disorder. It is where the brain has had to endure something, you know, quite a fairly robust trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's a coping mechanism. So depersonalization is, it's almost when you're observing yourself. Mm. Um, there's derealization as well, which is where you feel that the world is unreal. I mean, you are, I felt like that as well. I know, I know, I know. Uh, but it, it's, it's a coping mechanism because it's almost like you detach yourself from it because whatever you're experiencing is too much for you. But even though I wasn't seeing you at the time, what was I experiencing during that time that was just too much? Do we think? Made in Chelsea. <laughs> Made in Chelsea. It was that, wasn't Relationships. it? Relationships. Yeah, and, and that can happen <clears throat> so severely where you're doing a show and... and relationships are breaking up and things just aren't f fitting into place and i think it made you feel very powerless mm -hmm. i didn't know you i mean at the beginning you you know but towards the end it, it i think it made you feel very powerless and you are not that man mm. you're the complete opposite to that now i was not in a great place and i had just turned 30 i was 30 turning 31 i must have been and I had decided, right, it was time for me to go and see a therapist. And I had always done this thing where I had met someone or been to see someone. They hadn't given me the right answer or I wasn't feeling better. Yeah. And I thought, well, they're nonsense. They don't know. And I'd moved on and then try to deal with it myself. And I was in a relationship, just started a relationship with Sophie, my now wife. And I loved her a huge amount. And I was feeling, I, I, I can't even remember what I was feeling, but I remember coming into your um, practice, coming into your room and sitting with you. And I remember the very first session as well. What was your take on me at the very beginning? I made notes and I've looked at these notes. Right? Oh, God. <laughs> right? Okay. First of all. I was not in a good place, by the way. I was in a really bad place. I was um, socially anxious from what I remember. I was anxious i was nervous about things what do you want to say okay, right on. so i um 
So I, we always write presenting problems, right? So you presented with tinnitus. You said you had tinnitus. Still got right? it. Right? You haven't killed that. <laughs> you have to live with that. Tinnitus, <laughs> is that something you have to go with? Anxiety. Uh-huh. You said socially in particular. You said you had episodes of depersonalization. You talked about OCD. You said yeah. you were feeling burnt out. You described having cloudy days. Yeah. You said... Um, it's boring being like this. Yeah. So I remember, I always write down when you say something like that. Um, you said you were feeling insecure in yourself. Um, and it's funny because you said, I wrote, looking for reassurance. <laughs> and then brackets, I said, I. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I gave it, right? I just like, first session, <laughs> I'll be kind. I'll just reassure him, right? <laughs> Yes, uh, you said, looking back, I feel I have been like a clown. And we spent a lot of the first few sessions mm. talking about, you know, remember me saying to you, you're not the hired entertainment for the night, mm. which you still do. Mm-hmm. You still do that. Mm-hmm. My mind has become weak. You use the word weak such a lot. Yeah. Um, you talked about alcohol. You talked about it being a social crutch. Um so I think those are the main things. You came up with so many things at that first session. But for you, it was always about, um, what else did I write about you at that time? Um, that is so interesting. Yeah, um, desire to succeed. You always wanted to be the most popular. Yeah. Right? That hasn't gone much either. No, I don't think that's changed that much. Um, but, but what? But it was... For you, for me, what was interesting was like this whole sense of what I'm feeling now is a weakness. Yeah. I'm coming to you. I need you to make to make me feel stronger so I can get rid of this. And I was embarrassed. You were really embarrassed. And this is what is so interesting is that it's taken me so long, all these years, to sit with you now and do this podcast. And I feel so comfortable doing it. Five years ago, four years, no ways. Couldn't tell anyone that I was feeling no. like that. 
I couldn't because talk it was about a weakness. It because it was a weakness, and I and I still feel that so many people feel that way that they just wouldn't be able to say that they're seeing a therapist or need a therapist or Never. they need help. I am a dirty secret for a lot of people. But why is that? I've said to one man, I'm sure I've told you this. He will not keep my number or name in his phone just in case. And I did say, like... In case what? Someone sees... Yes. He's seeing a therapist. Yes, it's like, um, you know, some... (laughs) Some mistress. Mistress. That's a nicer way of saying it. But it's like, it is... Because there is still some shame, a lot of shame around it. Even though we always try and sort of demystify this. There is shame. Why do you think people feel shame? Because I can't really understand why I... Because you said it was weak. Yeah. And I've always said, and yes, of course I would say, but I, I always say to people that if you come and see somebody like me, it shows a sign of strength. That you're coming, you want to work things through, you're going to talk about it. That's the strong part. Let's talk about social anxiety, because that's, I think, one of the things that was the worst thing for me when I first came to you, I remember. And I think what's surprising for so many people, God, it's actually interesting, actually, me talking about that makes me feel a bit, <laughs> ah. Mm. But what is, I think, a strange, or maybe not strange for a lot of people to hear, is that I had this severe social anxiety. Not in front of strangers. No. So comfortable in front of strangers. Taxi drivers, uh, people in shops, people working on computers. Bank. It didn't, didn't matter. If I didn't know them, if they were a stranger, I could be best friends with them. It was easy. And the real problem was is that I couldn't go for one-on-one lunches with anyone. I know. I, I didn't go for a lunch with anyone for so many years because it was too intimate. And if I was going to go for a lunch with them, I'd have to drink. Or if I went for a dinner with someone one-on-one and have to do I knew I could drink, it was okay. And so what that led me to doing was then organizing all these things to see people because it gave me a sense of like, okay, I've organized to see someone, but then I would cancel last minute because I couldn't bear the thought. What is social anxiety and why do we feel it? In your particular case, it's a, it's a fear of being judged and always obviously negatively judged. You feel that all the eyes are on you and it's a very, is they're going to make a very negative sort of evaluation of you. You like the, the, you know, there's multiple people because you know that mechanism. I have to say A, B, and C, and they will react in a certain way. With an intimate situation like this, you can see, okay, she, you know, she, perhaps she's not saying something. He can look at me, he can see me. You, I think for you, you almost feel naked. Mm. And you would avoid, and I've always said to you, avoidance maintains anxiety. <laughs> Unless you do it, you will never know. Actually, that was difficult. Or actually, it was difficult, but it wasn't as bad. You always say exposure. Absolutely. Expose yourself to the situation. Absolutely. If you're scared of walking across three drains because you think the world's going to die, walk across the three drains yeah. and see that nothing happens. Expose yourself to the situation and do it. Yeah. And you were avoiding because I think... You were feeling so, um, I think there was so much shame in you at that point. You thought, if I'm one-to-one, I'll be able to sort of do the sort of like, you know, all the introduction stuff and talk about other things, but then it'll become a bit deeper. And then they will see that I'm not 
<laughs> I'm not doing as well as I I make out, you know. Because I was scared people were going to see for who I truly am. Completely. I'm not the funniest. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not those sort of things. But many people feel like that, don't they? Many people get socially anxious. You know, the reason why lots of people enjoyed lockdown so much. Yeah, you're right. Is because we didn't have to, we didn't, especially people living in cities, you didn't have the pressure of having to see everyone. Yeah. Everyone has this FOMO, this fear of missing out. But it's too much. It's too much for human beings. Because you think, I'm so exhausted. I've been out four times this week, but I want to go because I don't want to be, I don't want to be missing out because they might be talking about me. But human beings, we are social animals, but to a certain extent. Social anxiety is all about assuming, predicting that I will be seen negatively. Or social anxious people also, like when I'm talking to you, my, my attention is external right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm a little bit anxious. It would occasionally be like, oh my God, did that sound strange? So I would go into my own head, but then I will come back. Socially anxious people, their attention is always internal. How do I look? Am I walking okay? I hope I'm not blushing. The minute you go in, you've had it. That's quite vain, no? Or is it not? No, it's not vain. It's just be very conscious of your appearance. So then how does one conquer that? Not even in my opinion, just uh, or not my opinion, it's on me. How does one conquer social anxiety or try and get past it? Lots of things. First of all, if you're going to, let's say you're going to go to a big event at the Tate. That's yeah. your local thing, right? If you start thinking about it, dreading it a week in advance, you've had it. Because you're like, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if I go in, I don't know anybody? What if it's really, it's going to be really embarrassing? What if I see somebody I'm trying to avoid? <laughs> All of that. And what if is the nectar to anxiety? Absolutely. Because anxiety is all about the future, remember. But hang on. If I know it's in my diary and I know I'm going to the Tate on Saturday. Yeah. How on earth am I meant to not think about going to the Tate on Saturday if I'm socially Because anxious? if you're socially anxious, you're going to be like, you know what? I can plan what I'm going to focus on the things you can control. I wear this. I will leave at seven o'clock. I will take a taxi and I will get there. You focus on those bits, not... What if, what if, when we get into that what if, then you start worrying. Worrying is all about uh, preparing yourself for that event. And 99% of those things that we prepare for never happen. Because you take your brain to such a dark place, you think about the most catastrophic thing that could happen, Mm. and it never happens. So you go into a situation already, you know, almost so vigilant that anything could happen and it'd be like, that's it. Whereas somebody else might go in, you know, with just a very neutral attitude. Oh, I hope Jamie's there because it'd be really nice to see Sophie or whatever. Mm. So they're, you know, they're looking forward to something. Where myself in that situation where I was four years ago, or people in those situations think the worst. Yep. They think, I'm going to go in there. I'm not going to be entertaining. I'm not going to be funny. What am I going to say in a conversation? Yeah. What if, what if, what if? And therefore, I'm going to have a. I'm going to be judged. Oh God, I don't even want to go anymore. I don't yep. want to go. I don't want to. And go. you won't. And you wouldn't. And, and then you would avoid. And then you'd either sort of like almost confirm to yourself, I knew that'd be difficult because the minute we avoid, yeah. if I said to you, I don't want to do the podcast, initially I'd have a real sense of relief. Oh, thank God, thank God, I didn't do that. But then it's a very temporary relief, because and it'd be like, oh, but what if I, you know, what if it had been interesting? So it's a very temporary relief. And then you start probably beating yourself up. Okay, so we have focus on what you can control. Yep. 
Problem solve rather than worrying. Problem opposite, solve. Yeah, opposite to worry is problem solve. As soon as you're starting to go, what if, what if, what if, that's a disaster. That's not a good thing to do. What's the second thing that you can do to help with social anxiety? Um, you can learn some breathing techniques. The box. Box, 7-Eleven. I like, yeah, box is good. What know, is the 7-Eleven? How does so that work? I like 7-Eleven, which is breathing into seven through the nose mm -hmm. and then breathing out to 11 through the mouth. And when you breathe out, you breathe, you know, your whole body sort of relaxes. What does that do to you? What does it do to the body by doing those breathing techniques? Okay, so anxiety is... Um, Anxiety, you know, the way, you know, why we have anxiety is all about sort of dealing with a threat, but it's a real threat. When caveman was, you know, like for survival, he would get anxious when he would see a real threat, tiger mm -hmm. or whatever. Now, because human beings were so sophisticated, social anxiety triggers off the same response. So it's an imagined threat. Imagined threat of humiliation, embarrassment, being ignored or whatever. Mm. So same response. Um, so, so the body reacts in a certain way. The breathing, when we're feeling anxious, our breathing sort of becomes, you know, very sort of shallow. shallow. Yeah. So also when, and, and when, when, when we're very anxious, our thinking goes, it's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? what the breathing does and that's why it's using mindfulness meditation mm -hmm. for hundreds and hundreds of years mm -hmm. it just helps to bring us back in the here and now because you're it tricks yourself into thinking that you're not under a threat anymore absolutely and also breathing is something to focus on so if you're focusing on the breath breathing in breathing out then all of the what if thoughts are sort of like you know slightly sort of calming down and through breathing, you will then bring, you know, like almost like um, get yourself off the ledge almost. It's like you're breathing. It's okay. It's fine. Nothing terrible is going to happen. Because when we're anxious, I or I know when I'm anxious, I will feel anxiety here. I, I will get feel it in my chest, yeah. in my stomach. Yeah, look, most people would do that, right? Oh, it's the worst. And that's why breathing is really, really useful. And it's always under our control. We don't need any gadgets. We don't need any bells or <laughs> something like that. Like, okay, I need to put that app on. Our breath is with us. That is the problem I always think. I think that was the worst thing for me to understand is when I started to have these, this anxiety and this panic attack. And I spoke about the panic attack and that was the fullest first. It was, it was, some, it was basically, it was like a light switch yeah. clicked in my body. Yeah. I must have been feeling anxious as a child and we... I mean, we can go into, we'd have days of podcasts we spoke at a wall, but for when I really felt it was like a light switch within my body. And I just didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know what was going on. I was constantly in fight or flight. And I think when something like that kicks in, it takes a long time to understand it and accept it. Yes, and you've used the magical word acceptance because a lot of people will come to me, and you included, will be like, I don't like this anxiety. I want to get rid of it. Completely. And I always say to people, no, you need to learn to live with your anxiety. Which is a really scary thing to hear. Yes, yes. And you... Because I don't want to live with it. Yes, and you are such an anxious person. And you don't... I mean, I don't think people realise that about you. 
I think it's a lovely vulnerability in a way. Your OCD is terrible. <laughs> Your OCD is really bad. You have lots of rituals. I, I see rituals in you that you probably don't even notice. What? <laughs> You've talked about washing your feet. Don't, you know. I know. Not, I let's do, not. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true. Your reassurance seeking is a OCD. Is it? Your health anxiety. Let's talk about your health anxiety, mate. So, yeah, like. <laughs> the amount of times I'm dying is frightening. Dying? Oh, yeah. And you always want such a extreme diagnosis. Mal, are you sure it's not that? It's like, no, Jamie, you're just anxious. <laughs> are you sure, Mal? This is all. Oh, right. This is. Are you sure, Mal? I'm gonna, <laughs> this is exactly what I do. Because it's. Funny. Are you really, really sure? <laughs> I I remember Mal when I was um, and and looking back at it now because what you've taught me is a lot of these experiences come from childhood, and. I but mean, you're also born. You're genetically loaded for anxiety. Yeah, I'm. I'm genetically born with it as well. Yeah. But but a lot of the experience that I went through also enhanced at boarding school. Yeah. Those kind yeah. of things yeah. and divorce, whatever it was. But I remember as a child, um, I at the end, I must have been five years old, and we would say a prayer at the end. We put our chairs under our desk, and it was a person called Mrs. Scada, and she would say a prayer. We'd say a prayer, and it was. Lord, please keep us safe this night, secure from all our fears. May angels guide us while we sleep till morning night appears. Amen. We go home. As soon as she said that prayer, every single night, until I was 12, 13, maybe, I would have to say that prayer every single night, getting into bed, in my bed. And if I had stumbled over the words, I'd have to restart the whole prayer in my head. Yeah. Anyone... Speaking to that little boy would have said, that's an anxious child. Yeah. I didn't realize that at the time, though. Yeah. That's all anxiety, isn't it? And as I got older and with all this anxiety that I had, and when I first came to see you, I was convinced with all this stuff that I had going on, I was like, well, I must be bipolar. Yeah. I must be schizophrenic. Yeah. I, I must have, as you said, this much bigger diagnosis. But actually, it was just anxiety. Yeah. Do you see that in a lot of people where people who are anxious feel like they need a bigger diagnosis a lot of the time? Yeah. Especially people with sort of health anxiety, that's where you see it most, where a spot is not a spot. It's some sort of like, you know... Cancer or cancer. whatever it's it is. It's always cancer. It's never pain in the head. It's a tumour. Why do anxious people... Always go for the worst case scenario. Why? Because that's what, you know, their brain just like fast forwards so much. And it's such a painful thing. It, 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 in a way, if you think about it, it's so paradoxical. Why would we want to terrify ourselves? But it's almost like, I want to know. If I know, then I can deal with it. But you think, why are you even going there? It's just, you know, you just need some sort of like spot cream, but you're already thinking something else. And for you, it was always that. Always. Because it's like, like Mal, just tell me, do I have bipolar? It's like, no, Jamie, it's just anxiety, Jamie. And I always think, yep, got it, told you I had it. I've <laughs> yeah. got it, that's it. I can hear the, that's the voices going on. I can hear, you're like, no, you're just This anxious. morning you thought you... I thought <laughs> I was on the Truman Show. <laughs> this morning you thought it was schizophrenia yeah i did it's like you know like every time you come in, it's like what is it today what, what does he think he have today and do you know what's so funny is that i've come so far from you know being that 21 22 year old to now going back to social anxiety so we have the breathing we have the exposing yourself we have the uh don't do the what if what if what if um and 
from my experience of it is that my social anxiety was that was one of the hardest things I thought that I was just going to be not be able to see anyone and what was funny is I saw this quote the other day that someone said um, when you spend time alone it actually can become addictive yeah and a lot of the time what happens is is that people with social anxiety do start to spend too much time by themselves and actually they think that life is much better being yeah. alone. Yeah. But that's a bit dangerous, I would say yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Because we're tribal people, aren't we? We're tribal people and it can you know you know isolation is a terrible thing because we you know I've talked about it social connection is so important for us. Why is it so important? Because it it makes us feel human, it makes us feel, you know, we all want to be part of a group. Mm-hmm. In group, out group. It's like, you know, Liverpool supporters hate, was it Everton or Man U or mm-hmm. all of the above? Or whatever. Yeah. You, in order to feel stronger as a supporter, you need to have an out group. Social connections are like, we all live in, I don't know, Ealing. So we, you know, we're very different to that. We need a connection with our families. We need a connection with our neighbours. We need a connection with human, other human beings because it makes us feel safer if you think yeah. about it, you know, originally you would not survive if you lived on your own. Yeah. And also we need to be able to like, you know, hear other people's news. We need to be able to share what we're thinking, what we're feeling. We also need human beings. We're also very altruistic in lots of ways. We need, we want to do something for other people, mm-hmm. which makes us feel better about ourselves. That's why social connection is so important for mental health. Okay, everybody, that is the end of part one. As always, you just got to go and click over to part two where you can listen to the rest of the episode with my amazing therapist, Mal.